Jesus alone establishes the kingdom of David with judgment. Not only judgment, not only righteousness in principle, but also justice. And justice, justice is the practice, the living out of what is truly right. And my friends, listen, I have to say it. We live in an unjust world. As a follower of Jesus, it's easy to fall into a mindset of judgment start to think of yourself as superior to those who haven't given their lives to Jesus, and you can begin to treat them as such. But today, Pastor Daniel will remind you that there's only one judge, the King of Kings, Jesus. He's the authority in what's right and wrong, and he's the one who has chosen to save everyone. He saved you too. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Isaiah chapter 9 as he continues his message, The Government. David got on in his years, he seemed like he was a pretty lousy father, didn't really tend to his family the way he ought to. But even with all of David's flaws, we find that David had a heart after God. He shared God's heart. And after his mistake with Bathsheba, the punishment for that mistake was the death of David and Bathsheba's born son. But when that happened, David repented. And it says in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 to 16, it says, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Now listen to this. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. See, even in the midst of David's greatest mistake, God has a plan. And God is saying, look, I'm going to give you another son. And that is called the Davidic covenant. And really, the covenant points to God's gift of Solomon, who would be the next king, and the gift of the eternal king, the king who's greater than King Solomon, the son of David, who is the greater son and the truer son of David. God promised David, listen, Your kingdom's going to last forever. One of your descendants is going to sit on your throne forever. And Jesus, the Son of God, is the fulfillment of this covenant. He's the fulfillment. This is not something that just happened out of nowhere. God had already promised it. He had promised it to Abraham. He had promised it to David. And Jesus comes in fulfillment of those ancient promises. And that's why, have you ever, you ever noticed in your Bible 
how the Bible, the, the gospel of Matthew, how many of you guys have read all the way through the New Testament from Genesis to Revelation? Good. Listen, if you haven't, you need to do it. Do it. And if you've done it, you need to do it again. You ever notice that the gospel of Matthew begins in a way that nobody would ever choose? Can you imagine if you're writing a screenplay about the greatest man who ever lived? And you bring it to a Hollywood executive, not Sony, though, else they send mean emails about you. But imagine you write the script and you start, okay, I got the story. Here's the genealogy of Jesus, the son of Abraham, the son of David. Abraham, you got Isaac, and Isaac, you got Jacob, and Jacob, you got the 12 page. Do you think that's going to make it through the first editing process? No way. You know the first 10 minutes, you got to hook everybody into the story. Why is all that there? And I don't know how many times when I've given someone the Bible and I turn to Matthew, I'm like, here, start reading right here. And I'm always like, now listen, the first 17 verses, just a long list of names. Don't worry about it. It links Jesus to everything that came before from Genesis to Malachi. See, for us, from a stylistic point of view, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But when you realize that not only the genealogy of Matthew chapter 1, but also the other genealogy at the end of Luke chapter 3. It shows that Jesus sits in the lines of the promises of Abraham and the lines of the promises of David. Now, for those of you who are critical readers, which I encourage you to be in the Bible, you realize that those two genealogies are unique. Why? Because one goes through Mary and one goes through Jesus' stepfather, Joseph. Why? So that it's without There's no way to dispute that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises given before. That's why that's there. It's an important piece of information. But if you read it, don't worry. The list of names is kind of boring unless you're looking for baby names. But it links everything up because Jesus' kingdom fulfills ancient promises. This is not something that just got made up. I love when I talk to people who've maybe gone to a liberal arts college and took a religions of the Western world, and they say, oh, yeah, all that stuff's made up. I remember when I went to Rutgers, and I took religions of the Western world, very first semester of college, that was like 8.30 in the morning class. That was bad in and of itself. And the professor of that class was a reverend doctor. He was one of the editors of the Jesus Seminar. If you've ever, if you know about that, if you don't, you're not missing a whole lot. Whole group, I'll tell you real quick, the Jesus Seminar was a group of scholars who decided that they were going to tell us what Jesus really said and what he didn't say. Imagine that. 2,000 years after these things were penned, a group of guys like, we're going to tell you what he really said. That's genius, isn't it? So this guy goes in there, and literally, he systematically undermines Christianity the whole time. Now, what was really interesting for me is, I didn't believe it anyway. And then I thought to myself, I'm like, if this guy's a reverend doctor, why is he a reverend doctor? He doesn't even believe any of this stuff. Why does he want to make sure none of us believe this stuff? That was the first crack in my armor, actually. When you realize, what's the, why is this guy so intense about this whole thing? And he went through the whole thing, and oh, you know, the apostles made all this stuff up, and they wanted to invent a religion, and all this stuff. And I love when people say that to me now, because I'm like, you haven't done your homework, have you? You can't make statements like that unless you've actually done some research. And when you realize, this was stuff wasn't just made up later. It wasn't like all of a sudden, the apostle Paul was having one too many Jack and Cokes at the local pub and designed this whole thing. It wasn't like that. This stuff, there's all this history and all this deep reality that when Jesus came, all of a sudden everyone realized, oh man, this is the guy. 
And he fulfills ancient promises, promises to Abraham, promises to David, promises to Moses, promises to Noah and Adam, all through this, all these things that Jesus comes in and he fills in the gap. In a lot of ways, it's like Jesus is the duct tape for creation. He fixes everything. He ties it all. That's that's a bad reference, but it works, right? Because you guys all know duct tape fixes everything, right? He's the ultimate profound fix-all for everything, and he fits everything together, and it all fits together because of Jesus, and he fulfills these ancient promises. Now, notice, though, upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. So now now we hear that these are the characteristics of Jesus' government. It's judgment and justice. Judgment and and justice. See, if you read about David's reign, David's reign was not ordered and established with judgment and justice. There was all sorts of issues, profound issues. But Jesus, standing on the shoulders of King David, his kingdom is now ordering and establishing David's promised reign with judgment and justice. And we also saw peace before. So you have shalom, judgment, and justice. Now, I want to unpack this for us. Because I know today when you read about a reign being established in order with judgment, everybody's like, what? Jesus said, didn't Jesus say, judge not lest you be judged? And whatever measure you use will be what? Measured back to you? Now, I'm going to explain this to you. The word judgment and the word justice comes from a very specific Hebrew root word, which is known as the sadek word group, okay? In the Hebrew, it's dikayasune, same word group. It's, it's this word group that speaks about things like righteousness, justice, judgment. They all come from the same root word. And so some of your translations says to in order it and establish it with righteousness and justice. How many of your translations say that? A lot of them do. The reason that is, the reason that When we think of judgment, we always think of something negative, right? We think of somebody being mean to you, and you want to say, hey, don't judge me, right? And church is really well known being, you know, the place of judgment, right, where everyone tells you who you're supposed to be. But here's the thing. If you think about what judgment is, judgment is the passing of what is right and what is wrong from one person to another. And the problem with judgment is that all of us are arbitrary in our judgment, You and I, you're arbitrary. You have blind spots, but you don't see your blind spots. That's what we call them, blind spots. And so your judgment is faulty, and so is mine, because we are not perfect. But if Jesus always did those things which pleased his Father, if Jesus is the one person who death could not keep because he never did anything wrong, then what he says, this is right then he is also the one who is allowed to say, because I have always done the things that please my father, I have the right to be able to say this is correct and this is incorrect. See, righteousness is the principle that deals with everything that pertains to right, to God's original intention, to true shalom. And Jesus is the only one who has the ability to say, because I always did the things which pleased my father, because I was resurrected, because I was undeserving of death, because I never sinned, I can say this is right and this is wrong. 
And so when it says that Jesus is ordering and establishing David's kingdom with judgment, it's not a negative thing. It's actually the highest virtue because Jesus is the only one who can say that is acceptable and that is an affront to God. But here's the deal. We love knowing that Jesus is the judge, but it also terrifies the snot out of us, doesn't it? Because all of us realize, all of us realize that we all are weighed in the balance and found wanting. My friend, listen. Under the righteous decision-making of Jesus, we all fall except for the fact that the gospel is that the righteous judge of all creation came and lived and died for us. It's just the most extraordinary reality when you realize that the one who is declaring me guilty is also the one who's dying in my place to set me free. That's the gospel. The gospel is that I am guilty and the person who I was an affront to has come and taken my punishment and forgiven me and forgiven you if you are born again. It's not just God being like, look, you are out, you are wrong, I am done with you. He's like, look, you are out and you are wrong and I am coming to save you. And that's the Christmas message, my friend. But once he saved us, he doesn't say, okay, now that I've saved you, now I need your help in being judge and jury for everybody you meet. I didn't have it all together. I kind of, I could use your advice. And what's amazing is, is I didn't grow up in the church. I've seen the most judgmental people since I've been involved in church. Way more judgmental than the people I met in the world. And I realized that what Satan does is once you get saved and the spirit of God is in you, you realize you're redeemed and you realize what God says is right and wrong. We start to say, oh, that's wrong. That is not okay. God is going to judge you. It's like blind Bartimaeus being mad at every blind person as if he healed himself. See, the reason we judge is because we have lost God's heart. That's why we judge. And it's real easy in church to be a judge. But guess what? God doesn't need your judgment. doesn't need mine either. Jesus alone establishes the kingdom of David with judgment. Not only judgment, not only righteousness, in principle, but also justice. And justice, justice is the practice, the living out of what is truly right. And my friends, listen, I have to say it. We live in an unjust world. And you and I, as the family of God, because Jesus is establishing his kingdom in righteousness and justice and judgment and justice, you and I need to be not just talk about justice, but we need to be vehicles of justice in the world. We live in a world where there's so much inequality. I mean, think about it. A man and a woman, both the equal amount of education, the equal amount of experience, still to this day, men get paid more than women to do the same job. That ain't right. Is that in accordance with God's justice? We live in a world where people are systematically oppressed, I mean, you think about justice for the unborn. Who's the voice for the unborn? In a culture, I mean, now, 50 years after Roe v. Wade, we're talking 58 million lives. That's the single greatest genocide maybe in history, and it grows every week. 
Now listen, I say that. I also realize that some of you, you're here right now, you've had abortions. And you're struggling. Listen, accept God's grace in your brokenness. I've met many people as a pastor who've made those decisions or struggling with the ramifications of those decisions. There's no, don't feel judgment. But if we are children of the kingdom of God, we need to work for justice. We need to roll up our sleeves and work for justice. Now listen, this is what I've learned. Whatever the justice area that's big for you, you need to go do that one. Because I've been in church long enough to realize that everybody's got an area of judgment, justice, that this is the big thing. You have to do this thing. Listen, everybody has to do whatever their passion is. And I believe that for some of you, it's going to be the elimination of child poverty. For some of you, it's like, man, we need to get rid of malaria. Nobody should die because of a mosquito bite anywhere in the world. Some of you are going to say, look, we want to make sure that every child who's in the foster care system has a home to live in. And some of you are going to say, listen, it's all about justice for the unborn for me. Or it's all about making sure that uh, ethnic or racial or gender-related inequality, whatever your thing is, my friend, you need to step into that in Jesus' name. Because if Jesus' kingdom is characterized by righteousness as a principle, all of the things that pertain to right, and justice, which is the playing out of those actions, all of us have a role to play in it. And so I ask you, I ask you, how does God want to partner with you to see heaven touch down to earth in its already form while we await the fulfillment of his kingdom. This is, God did not save us just so we could sit in church. It's one part of it. We never forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but we come together to be equipped for the work of ministry. And the work of ministry is saying, God, who have you created me to be? And what are the, your passions that are my passions and your giftings that are my giftings? And how do you want to use this life to see justice flow in this world like the waters cover the seas. God wants all of us, not just a few of us. Ministry is saying, God, I am re-gifting my life to you, and I want to be a vehicle for righteousness and justice in the world. Listen to what it says in Psalm 89, verse 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Righteousness and justice. It's the foundation of Jesus' throne. It's what is built upon. Now listen. Before we can be the blessing that God wants us to be in the world, we actually have to learn how to do it within the family of God. Sometimes when I watch, see the way church works, I get discouraged. I'm like, Lord, we can't help anyone. We can barely get out of our own way. And as it relates to you this Christmas, whatever the details of your Christmas experience are going to be, I want you to say, Lord, I am a citizen of your kingdom, and I want righteousness and justice to be at work in my life. Because really, you're only responsible for your life before God. Say, God, I want my life to be a display of your kingdom in all the things that pertain to God's peace and righteousness and the working out of that peace and righteousness in action that we call justice, the way things should be, the way God wants me, and say, Lord, I want my life to be that. I need your empowering spirit 
to make my life a vehicle for righteousness and justice in the world. And that is when the church becomes a force in this world to bring glory to God and a blessing to humanity. When we function as ambassadors of Jesus, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. When we step into God's kingdom and allow his kingdom principles to become the driving force of our lives. Sounds pretty amazing, doesn't it? Look at how this ends. The very last line of Isaiah 9, 7, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Jesus expresses God's zeal. That's what we learn here. See, this kingdom, this king, this government is not going to happen in the ordinary course and evolution of events. But no, this is all about the zeal of God. And Jesus is a display of God's zeal. What we celebrate at Christmas time, the coming of the Savior, it's all about the zeal and the passion of God. Now, I want to talk to you about that word zeal just real briefly because zeal and jealousy are two sides of the same coin. It speaks about a passionate commitment, a love that tolerates no disloyalty and will abide no rival. Now, What's interesting is that when we think of jealousy, when you think of jealousy, when I think of jealousy, I always think about jealousy as a negative thing, right? It's like when you think of a jealousy, you think of like a jealous boyfriend who all of a sudden it's like, you know, or, or if you're a gal at least, you know, and every time you say, a, a boy says hi to you, they're just jumping, who's that? And why are you doing that? And all that stuff. And it, it's interesting that Oprah Winfrey, if you read about her story, she stopped following the God of the Bible because she heard about God being a jealous God and said, why would I want to follow a jealous God? But here's the problem with Oprah Winfrey's position, and I think a lot of ours, is that we can't define jealousy based on somebody, a person's insecurity. We have to define jealousy based on what it really means. And I'm here to tell you, you can't really love somebody if you're not jealous for them. Not in a capricious way, an angry way, in a deficient way. But the reason God is jealous in his love is because God realizes that his love is the only thing that will truly satisfy. And if we choose to reject God's love, we are actually not only hurting ourselves, but all of creation and everybody around us. And so God's jealousy is actually the highest form of virtue for God. Jesus is Think about what Pastor Daniel said today. God has great things he wants to see happen on earth. He wants to partner with you to accomplish them. How is God asking you to step into unjust situations to be his love and life on earth? You're being called today to be an ambassador for God's kingdom, a light in the darkness. As you move into a new year, don't be afraid to jump into the opportunities to share the hope of Jesus. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. I'm so stoked you're a listener of Jesus is Real Radio and I know Jesus has amazing plans for you. I'd love to hear the story of how God's working in your life. Give us a call here at Jesus is Real Radio at 360-256-4655 or email me at real 
at danielfusco.com. Thanks for joining us today for Jesus is Real Radio. Hey, I wanted to remind you that each day on Facebook, Pastor Daniel shares a simple two-minute message. In this message, Pastor Daniel draws out an important biblical truth that really helps set your day on the right path. So be sure to follow Pastor Daniel Fusco on Facebook and share these two-minute messages with your friends and family. Today's message wrapped up Pastor Daniel's series, Jesus at Street Level. Pastor Daniel explained to you just how incredible a gift Jesus is and how you can receive this gift right now, right where you are in life. He also invited you to participate in the kingdom of heaven, a new and perfect form of government that is available now but won't be realized fully until Jesus returns. If you've placed your trust in the gift of salvation Jesus offers, you have a place in the kingdom and you have a purpose in this life. That's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.